Let's, let's move towards that direction. But before we do, I once again want to say Happy Father's Day to all you dads. And I, and I want to give you a specific um, word that someone gave me once. They challenged me and they said, uh, the, the role where you are least replaceable is dad. In all the roles you play, the lo- role that you are least replaceable is dad. So, for what it's worth, fellas, reflect on that a little bit. And, and obviously that's true in the big things. It's true in the big things, but also even in the little things. I had to step out... Um, between services uh, last last hour, and I was walking with one of the kids that got dismissed, and he was hearing Brandon saying, and he goes, that's a Chris Tomlin song. I'm like, how do you know that's a Chris Tomlin song? And, and he said, well, my dad. My dad listens to Chris Tomlin. So dads, whether it's the big stuff, little stuff, um, it matters. It matters. Well, this Father's Day, I want to open up with a... Uh, with a, a, a teaching that I heard somebody give once. And, and I don't remember a lot of sermons. <laughs> Hopefully, we're, we have some memorable ones that come your way, but I don't remember a lot of them. But this is one that I, I, I heard about 10 years ago, and I still remember. I still remember this piece of it. We're not going to give the whole sermon, but this piece that he shared, I want to I share with you. The teaching came from the book of Luke, chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, this will be worth opening up to. Luke 13, uh, verses 31 and 32. Now, as we're turning here, if you have your Bibles, I just want to make a quick mention that if you don't own a Bible, we would love to send you home with one free today. We have a stack of Bibles. We keep them at the welcome table every Sunday. And if you would like to take one home, please do. We would encourage you to to do that. There's nothing to sign, no money to stick anywhere. Please just take it home. All right, here's the the text that that, that, uh, a guy named John Ortberg was teaching from. This is Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, You go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons, I perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I finish my course. All right, so that, that's the passage that he uh, was, was, was talking about. Now, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, these Pharisee fellas, they're um, religious leaders. So these religious leaders come to Jesus. They're in a region called Galilee. And these religious leaders say to Jesus, hey, there's a guy who wants to kill you. And this guy isn't just a guy. This guy is Herod. And Herod, this Herod we're, we're going to look at today, this Herod, he was the ruler of this area. They were in a region called Galilee. And this Herod is ruler of Galilee and Perea. So this guy who's in charge of this region, he wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. Now, in reply to this death threat, Jesus calls this character, Herod, he calls him something. What does he call him? A fox. See, you remember sermons. Woohoo! Just 10 years from now, we'll see if you're remembering it. All right. Um, in our culture, a fox, in our culture, a fox can be a compliment. It can be a compliment. Back in the 70s and 80s, you know, it was a compliment. Barry might say, hey, Foxy, I can't do it. Some of you guys can do it. I'm more, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, you could call somebody a fox. It was a compliment. It meant you thought they were an attractive person. Is, is that the context Jesus was? No. no. This, he was not calling Herod an attractive person. Well, in our culture, fox has another meaning. Um, this one's a little bit more contemporary. A fox is someone who was crafty or clever. Crafty or clever. Is that what Jesus was calling Herod? Maybe, maybe. Um, One of my study Bibles says yes. But I side with this guy, John Ortberg, who who says no. In fact, this was Jesus calling this guy out. 
This was Jesus throwing down. This was, he used this phrase, I love it. This was an act of magnificent defiance. Love that phrase. According to Orford, he said, this was an act. When Jesus said, you tell that fox, Jesus was, this was an act of magnificent defiance. Now, let's dig into this text a little bit more, and let's see what you think. One of the things that the scripture itself encourages us to do is when you hear a teaching, especially one that sounds new, go to the scriptures yourself. Don't just take their word for it. Go, dig in. Well, let's, let's dig in a little bit and let's see. Now, there's a couple different Herods. If, if you're, if, even if you're not new to the Bible, sometimes you have to figure out, okay, which Mary are they talking about? Which Joseph are they talking about? Which Herod are we talking about? Because there's, there's more than one of some of these characters. Here is the Herod we're talking about. You can find this in Luke chapter 9. Starting with verse 7, here is the Herod that's being referred to in the passage that we just looked at in Luke 13. In Luke 9, starting with verse 7, we read about Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was happening, and he was perplexed. And these, this is what was happening surrounding Jesus. He heard all this buzz about Jesus of Nazareth, and he was perplexed. Because some people were saying, this is John the Baptist that had been raised from the dead. Some were saying, this is Elijah who had appeared. Some others were saying, it's one of the prophets of old that's risen again. And Herod said, hold on a second. I beheaded John. I beheaded John. Who is this about whom I hear such things? And Herod sought to see him. So Herod had heard this buzz about Jesus. He sought to see him. And whether the Pharisees were telling the truth or not, you know, we don't know for sure. But but they were saying, this Herod wants to kill you. Now, there's at least a couple Herods. And there's one Herod that history refers to as Herod the Great. Now, this might sound like some history, but this plays into what we were talking about earlier. All right? There's more than one Herod. One is this Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a strong and powerful ruler. And this guy had the attention of the Roman Empire. In fact, characters that you might recognize like Julius Caesar, Mark Anthony, Octavian, they all had Herod the Great on their radar. So this guy was something. Rome appointed Herod the Great to be king over a a big region. They said, you get to be king over this. And they didn't just say that. They backed him up militarily. They backed him up with the military might of Rome. Herod the Great was an unprecedented builder. Under his leadership, fortresses were built. Massive buildings were constructed. And entire cities rose under Herod the Great. Herod the Great was so successful that Augustus came to visit him and said, Herod, you are so great that you can even pick your own successor. We won't pick him for you. You get to pick your own successor, which isn't always what the Romans would do. So that is Herod the who? Herod the Great. Okay, the guy that we're talking about, is that Herod the Great? No, he's Herod the Tetrarch. Now, that word Tetrarch, rough translation, it basically means quarter king. Quarter king. Ouch. Herod the quarter king, he was one of Herod the Great's sons. Herod the quarter king, who the guy from... Uh, Luke 13, here the quarter king ruled a quarter kingdom. Not the whole thing, a quarter kingdom. Herod the quarter king, he did a nice job renovating a city called Sepphoris, but he didn't, he didn't build like his daddy built. Herod the quarter king, he had allies in Rome, but get this, unlike having Julius Caesar watching your back, um, later in his career, Herod the tetrarch, Herod the quarter king, he goes to, to petition Rome to say, hey, make me king king. Make me king king. You know what Rome did? Exiled him to France. Exiled him to France. Wow. When Herod the quarter king, listen to this, Herod the quarter king left his wife to marry his niece, 
left his wife to marry his niece. When that happened, his ex-wife's dad's army beat up his army really good. So that's Herod the quarter king. Herod the quarter king. Now here's why I think uh, Ortberg's right when he says this was a this was a slam. This was a shot. Because think about that that area where they were. In that area was a fox, the apex predator. No, it was a lion. Lions were the, the animal that people are afraid of. Lions is what you want to be compared to. Lions were the ones that made the kill. Fox? That was a little timid dog. It could eat what the lion, you know, left behind. A fox was a lion wannabe. And Jesus said to the quarter king, he said, you go tell that you go tell that fox that I have a mission from God and you're not going to divert me from it. God has a purpose plan that I am setting out to follow and you're not going to divert me from it. Now, let me make it very clear. Jesus was not calling a bluff. Jesus was not saying, you have no power here on earth because in that area, he was king. In that area, he had John the Baptist's head cut off. So he's not calling the bluff and saying, you have no earthly authority. He's saying, I don't care if you're Herod the Great. I don't care if you are Julius Caesar. I don't care who you are. I have a mission from God, and you're not going to divert me from it. If it costs me my very life, then it does. I've been told by God to do one thing, and hey, want to be God, you're not going to divert me from what God has called me to do. I think this was an act of magnificent defiance. An act of magnificent defiance. Jesus knew what God was asking of him, and and he wasn't about to be diverted from this mission by any earthly king. Any earthly king. All right, so what does this have to do with us? Here's what it has to do with us. That same spirit of Christ is the spirit God wants to put in us. That same spirit of Christ, God wants to put it in us. There's a place to write this in your notes because this is a nuanced thing. Here's what I'd encourage you to write down. The same spirit of Christ that will lead and empower you to sometimes turn the other cheek will at other times lead and empower you to boldly defy a Herod. Let me say that again. The same spirit of Christ that will lead and empower you to sometimes turn the other cheek will at other times lead and empower you to boldly defy a Herod. I think one of the reasons that this teaching stood out to me so much is I had always heard about the turning the other cheek part. I I grew up with that. I grew up with Swedish, safe, nice Jesus, you know, who, who just loves everybody and, 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 and all this kind of... And, and it is, will the Spirit of Christ ever tell you to turn the other cheek? Yes. Will the Spirit of Christ... We talked about this in the, in the last series that we did, the marriage series. Some, often, frequently, the Spirit of Christ will have us be the one to say, I'm sorry first. It will be the one that we will serve the people who are persecuting us. We will love them. The Spirit of Christ will lead us and empower us to love that kind of way. But will that same Spirit of Christ ever ever call us to defy a Herod? Yes. Yes. He will. He will. In the New Testament, the term Holy Spirit is sometimes used interchangeably with the term the Spirit of Christ. Sometimes in the, in the same thought, 
you know, which in Paul's case can go on for a long time. Um, you'll, you'll see it used interchangeably. So this spirit that was in Christ is the spirit God wants to have dwelling in us, the spirit that can sometimes lead and empower us to turn the other cheek and sometimes lead and empower us to defy a Herod. Now, I want to look, what I want to do with the, our time here today is I want to have us look at an example from the Bible of this. Um, then I want us to apply it to our own lives. And then we're going to give you a chance to that song to declare this, to declare this. All right, so let's start with the, the scriptures. Um, I want to give a little background before we look at our first verse. We're going to be looking at, you, you can leave it on the screen, that's fine. But before we dig into this, I want to, want to talk a little bit, big picture about this book of Judges. I'm uh, reading the Bible again, cover to cover, and... And I'm in the book of Judges. And fellas, if you want a great starting place, it's going to be confusing as all get out. But if you want a great starting place, look at that book of Judges. There's, there's crazy stuff in there. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff. All right. Well, anyway, one of the things that we see in this book of Judges is a cycle that repeats itself over and over and over again. And I was reminded by um, Josiah in the, in the first hour, it doesn't just repeat itself. It just goes downward. So if you feel like you're reading Judges and you're going, this is just, this is ugly. This is horrific. This is terrible stuff. It is. And it gets worse and worse and worse. But even as things spiral, they spiral downwards. And here's the, the circular spiral that they're in. It starts with the people doing what's right in their own eyes. The book of Judges comes after people were led by Moses, after they're led by Joshua. They, they got to this point where they didn't have this clear, strong leader. And so the people started to do what they thought was right. Which sounds really good, right? Isn't this, this is America, right? Hey, I want my number five Happy Meal and I want this and I want this and I want this. We want what's right in our own eyes. Well, people started doing what was right in their own eyes. And that involved taking your eyes off of God and, and doing what you thought was right rather than what God told us to do. Well, when that happened, there were consequences. There were consequences. And these consequences should not have come as a surprise to anybody because God said, sometimes he said, if you, sometimes he said, when you. When you do this, here's what's going to happen. When you start following after let other gods, let them save you, because I'm not. And he said, if that happens, if you turn from me, you watch. These other nations are going to come in, and they're going to conquer you. And that's what happened. When the people took their eyes off God, God did what he said would happen. They, they got consequences for that. And this passage that we're going to look in here, this is actually an ancient song, an ancient, ancient song. And this is a song that is being proclaimed after, after the people had done what was right in their own eyes, after God sent this occupying army for 20 years, and after then, we'll get to the rest of the cycle later, after God rose up uh, a leader for them. So look at there. Here's how this, they're being descriptive of what happened when they were in consequences phase. When new gods were chosen, then war was where? Where was war? In the gates. Remember that. Not just at the gates, it was in the gates. When these new gods were chosen... Then war was in the gates. Was a shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? So this is, again, this is telling of a time when, when the people were experiencing the consequences that God said was going to come. And this occupying army came for 20 years, was oppressing, oppressing these people, oppressing them so much that war was in the gates. You didn't want war at the gates. You especially didn't want war in the gates because the gates were what kept the people out. You're, in, in, back in those days, they would build these walls around their cities so when someone would come against you, you had protection and you were, had the high ground and you could fire arrows and stuff down on, on these, these people. Well, when they broke through the gates, if they were strong enough to break through the gates, that was your defense. That was your strength. If they were so strong they could get through your gates, what do you got left? You got nothing. 
It's like that Lord of the Rings 3. How many have seen that third one? All right. When those big trolls, right? Those big trolls come busting through, you're like, we got nothing. We got nothing. You know? This is in your gates. And here's, here's where this applies to our life. This cycle that we start to see emerging here with these folks as a people, this is a cycle we're on all the time. Where we do what's right in our own eyes and war enters our gates. And we have consequences. You know, and it's not because God is out to get us. He warns us. He says, you start following these other gods. Good luck with that. And, and when I think about the war in our own gates, how many of the worst things you've experienced, how many of the, well, I should put it this way, how many of the worst consequences, how many of your worst consequences have come when you did what was right in your own eyes or someone else's own eyes instead of what God said? Think about that. Think how many of the, the worst consequences in your life came when you did what everyone else did, when you listened to the wrong people instead of listening to God. Think how many of the things you regret most happened when you dated the person you shouldn't have been dating to begin with and you listened to them instead of listening to what God would have for you. Think of how different your life would be if you applied biblical principles to your finances instead of spending the way the world encourages us to spend or listening to the advice of people who say, buy this, buy that, invest here, invest that. You know, think how many times your own selfishness got you into trouble where you just did something that this feels like it's going to be for my betterment, but it's not what God would want, but you do the selfish thing and how that leads to bad consequences. Maybe fear. You know, how many times has fear kept us from taking a stand that we wish we would have taken or saying something we wish we would have said? Do I need to give any more examples? Or are we all good? All right, we're all good? Okay. I don't want to overdo this. All right. Um, so we've all done this. We've all done this. And we continue to do this. Do what's right in our own eyes and experience the consequences. Now, fortunately, God doesn't want us to stay stuck there. God doesn't go, good. You deserve this. And so stay there in your own mess that you've made. God wants to help. He wants to bring us out of there. Sometimes he allows these consequences for our own... He always allows consequences for our own good when, when we're experiencing them. So, so when we're in this spot, when we're in this, we can relate to this. And before I forget, let's, I want to encourage you to write this down because this is our own experience, not just theirs. When new gods are chosen, war enters your gates. War enters your gates. And the consequences come. War enters your gates. And we don't have to remain stuck there. Because here's what we begin to see in the, in the book of Judges, what we begin to see is that when people are experiencing the consequences, some brave person will repent. They will say, God, this is not where you want us to be. We want to be where you want us to be. And what we see in the book of Judges is God steps in and there's salvation. Salvation is a rich word that we could never mine deep enough. It doesn't just mean, hey, heaven, when you die. It, it means God's saving you, rescue you, delivering you, even, even in, in here. So let's, let's start to turn this corner from consequences, all right? Here's a passage that's fascinating. It's from that same, same song that we were looking at earlier. This is out of the book of Judges, same song we were looking at, where they were describing um, people turning to their own gods. And take a look at this. This is an interesting passage. 
says this. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. All right, keep this frozen up here for a minute because this, this appears to be wrong. This appears to be wrong. The second half appears to be right because this is hap- they're describing what it was like under occupation. The highways are abandoned. Travelers are hiding out. In fact, it's fascinating. You can go and you can look at the archaeology of that region. And you find the archaeology of that region is at these different points in history that line up with these biblical teachings. People, they find, oh, during this time, people were hiding and living in caves. During this time, villages were burned. They can find this kind of stuff. During this time, people were, were going into the mountains and fleeing. And it's fasting. So, so that part just makes sense. That part is true. But they say that was happening in the days of Shamgar and Jael. And, and that didn't seem to make sense. Because during this particular time, the bad guys were Jabin and Sisera. Jabin was the occupying king. And Sisera was the occupying general. These were the good guys. Shamgar... Was, a, was, was one of the good guys, one of the judges that helped deliver them. And Jael was this woman who ended up taking a tent peg and a mallet, I'm telling you, read Judges, pounding it through the temple of the general, General Sisera. So it's like, okay, why in the world does that not say in the days of, of Sisera, in the days of Jabin? Well, I think it's because it's irony. I think it's a tremendous use of irony. I think... God is asking the same question through Deborah. Why is it? Why are the highways abandoned? Because I can raise people up. I can raise you up. Shamgar wasn't even a Hebrew guy. God raised him up. Jael, she's just in her tent, and here comes the general wanting to take a nap. Wow. So, so I, I feel like this is irony. And, and one of the reasons I feel strongly this is irony is, is how this continues. She the villagers ceased in Israel, Israel, they ceased until I arose. And in this case, the I is Deborah. It ceased until she stepped up to the plate. Here's, here's a passage that comes before this describing this Deborah character a little bit and, and what happened. This is what happened before the song of victory that she sang later. So here we got that in Judges chapter 4, set with verse 4. Now Deborah was a prophetess. And she was judging Israel at the time. And the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor. I will draw out Sisera, that general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon. Remember that name of that river. Okay? I will meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give them into your hand. Barak said to her, Hey, If you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't, I'm not going to go. And she said, buck up. Come on, let's go. I will go with you, all right? Nevertheless, the road on which you're going to go, it's not going to lead to your glory. For the Lord is going to sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. That woman was Jael. Jael. And then Deborah rose, arose, and she went with Barak to Kadesh. This Deborah rising up, this woman saying, I'm going to defy this Herod. It inspired others to do the same. She, she said to Sisera and Jabin, she said, you guys think you're king? The only reason you have any jurisdiction at all here is because God's letting you. This is the land God gave us. 
This is the land God promised us. The only reason you're in control right now is because we've been messing up. Well, that day ends today. And God's going to give us back our land. And God did. God did. Here's, let's go back now to that song. This is the victory song that came after this great victory. And we started, we already read that whole part about the new gods were chosen, war is in the gates. Look how that song continues. Here's where you start to see the hope of salvation. As they begin to repent, here's where you start to see the hope of salvation. Where she says, my heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who did what? What did they do? Say it out loud. They offered themselves what? They offered themselves willingly among the people. She said, my heart goes out to them. They offered themselves willingly among the people. When we go off mission, when we start you know, living in the land of, of, of the consequences, when we live outside our creator's instructions, when we let the Herod set the agendas, when we do what's right in our own eyes, there are consequences for that. War enters our gates. But, but, even if the war is in your gates, as we willingly submit ourselves to God, there's always hope. There's hope for the supernatural to break in. And what seemed impossible is now possible. Take a look at this. This is how that, that story, this, the, 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 the song continues. It says this. Is it now just Deborah fighting? No. Look at this. From heaven, the what? The stars fought. From their courses, they fought against Sisera, the torrent Kishan, that river swept them away. You've got rivers and stars fighting for you. When you start tapping into God, it's no longer you against Herod. You against Herod probably is not a fair fight. God against Herod, not a fair fight. So as you willingly surrender, you begin to see this, this, this amazing um, dynamic begin to come into play where God himself, God himself, fights for you. And that's why you see this line of inspiration there in 521. March on my soul with what? With might. March on my soul with might. Not just this puffed up, I'm going to do it in my own strength might, but I've got the power of God in this. Now if you're feeling like war is in your gates, then you know, do what was modeled. You know, this is the same thing that God calls us to. As we're in the consequences mode, you don't want to stay there. And what happens is sometimes the enemy will even want to stay there. Oh, you're such a horrible person. Oh, you really messed up. That's not where God wants to keep you. Yeah, own it. But then say, okay, God, I'm sorry. This is not where I want to live. And turn back to him. Turn back to him. And as you do... That's when God can step in. And the salvation may come in an external deliverance from what you're experiencing. It might also come in with the peace to accept that God's going to use this in other ways too. But God's going to step in. And this isn't good, just good advice. This is our heart's cry. This kind of stuff that we're talking about, this isn't just, hey, if you're feeling like you're having these negative consequences, come on, let's turn this around. This is... this. You are designed to be in alignment with God. He has plans and purposes for us. He wants to do amazing things in our lives. He wants to experience the deepest joy and the deepest peace and the greatest excitement. That's what God wants for us. 
This is even reflected in that song. Let's go back. This is, this is some good stuff. Jot down Judges uh, 5 and, and take a look and read through this. We've had to leave a lot on the cutting room floor here today. Look at this. This is what I'm going to include. Judges 5, 16. Why do you sit among the sheepfolds? To hear the whistling of the flocks. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of the heart. And this song right here, this is speaking to, to people that want to sit on the sidelines. There's a battle about to play. Come on, we're going up against Sisera. We're going against Jabin. We've been occupied for 20 years. This is the day that the tide is turning. Let the sheep go. Let's rally. Let's do this thing. And there, there were great searchings of the heart. Instead of being satisfied, just sitting on the sidelines. You've got great searchings of the heart that God wants to tap. And these things that right now seem so big and they have so much power, as, as God reveals Herod's for what they are, they begin to lose their strength, begin to lose their strength. When was the last time you listened to your deepest longings, to the great searches of your heart, and began to live the life and pursue the life that God created you to live? Well, in that sermon that I referenced at the beginning, uh, John Ortberg, as he got to the end of it, he asked this question. Great question. He said, who's your Herod? Who is your Herod? And I can't answer that one for you. I can't answer who your Herod is. But what I want to challenge you to do right now, this is not rhetorical. This is me asking you to do this. Ask the Holy Spirit to identify your Herod. And you might get a whole bunch of them. Then ask the Holy Spirit to narrow it down and say, okay, today, which Herod, which Herod, God, would you have me to defy? Again, this isn't rhetorical. I'm asking you to do this. I'm going to do some examples here. Maybe if you don't have one yet, maybe one of these will resonate. But you ask, begin asking the Holy Spirit, which Herod he would have you to defy. Here are some examples of Herods. All right, here's one I, I hadn't planned to share. But um, when, uh, when, when the worship band was leading that song, uh, open, one of the opening songs, there was a line in there. I wrote it down now. Um, there was a line that said, I shall gladly kneel to leave my pride. And I heard that line. I was singing that line, and it, I had a flashback. I had a flashback to, uh, to I, when I was a sophomore in high school, I had a conversion experience, and, and, uh, and it was significant and I said okay God I'm, I'm as best I can I, I want to follow you instead of these other things and I had never consciously heard God I didn't even have language for that I was um, what I'll call pipe organ Lutheran pipe organ Lutheran some of you know what that means I was pipe organ Lutheran all right so I had never heard of language of God speaking to you I had never I had never even that kind of category was not even in my mind but I was a Christian and, and I was at my first Christian concert a person named Connie Scott I don't know if anyone's ever heard of her but um, you have you did all right Connie, Connie Scott we had one person in the last hour too that heard her. okay so I'm at a Connie Scott concert and sitting behind me are two very cute girls from my school very cute girls from my school and it was Tina and Leanne, and, and they're sitting right behind me and, and this song this, this concert's going on and I'm just kind of you know listening to the music thinking how I can impress Tina and, and Leanne. And, and, uh, and, and I, I had this impression on me that I was supposed to do something that I'd seen another guy do that I thought was the most crazy thing I'd ever seen. There was this, this adult man that at one time, he didn't do it at our church, but I, I remember seeing this adult man one time in, in some kind of 
singing thing. He got down on his knees and he stuck his hands in the air and his shirt lifted way up farther than it should have lifted up. And, and, and he's got tears coming down his eyes. And I remember looking at this going, I don't know what this is, but I, this is really weird. And it was impressed on me. Do that right now. <laughs> do that right now. <laughs> do that right now. And I'm having this like argument in my head. And I'd never had anything like this. And I'm, and I'm like, I think this is God. Are you kidding me, God? Because you know, God, do you know who's behind me right now? <laughs> Those two girls were Herod's. Those two girls were Herod's. And, and I was being asked to defy Herod's. Who are you going to listen to? And even though that seems like a silly thing, that was a defining moment. As I got down on my knees, I felt like an idiot, and no flashes of light came, and, and I didn't rise all glowy or anything like that. I rose really embarrassed, kind of slunk back into my seat, you know, not making eye contact with them. And that was a Herod. That was a Herod. And maybe some of you have a similar situation. For some, our Herod is our comfort zone, even in a way beyond that. Some of you in this room might be called to literally, well, we all are called to this, but some of you might have a specific instance where you are called to put your life on the line, literally. Next week, our speaker is going to come in and she's going to talk about sex trafficking in this area. And some of you might feel a stirring from God to get involved and get on the front lines of that. And you get on the front lines of that type of thing, you can get death threats. If God calls you to get on the front lines of something like that, are you willing to say to that Herod, you don't own me, you don't own my life. If God wants to protect me, he can. If he wants me to die for this cause, then so be it. You don't own me. Are you willing to surrender in that way? For some of you girls, you wish it was only that. God has another thing for some of you, and that is that you're dating a Herod. That your boyfriend is a Herod. He's a husband wannabe. He is asking you to do things with him that you should only be sharing with your husband. And are you going to... Who, who are you going to listen to? If you're in that situation, and I think some of you are because really got quiet really quick here. Um, what I want to encourage you to is to come to this place of repentance to say, God... I'm sorry. And if you've crossed lines that you said you never crossed, just start from where you're at and, and, and say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry that I am allowing this husband wannabe to take the place of what you have planned for me. This oneness, this intimacy, this relationship that you set apart from all other relationships. Forgive me, God, for settling for less than that. Take me from where I am, this point forward. God, I offer myself fully to you. May I never, ever settle for anything less than your best for me. Do you think God would be excited to help someone praying that prayer? Oh, he would love to. He'd love to step in and help you. And for guys, let me speak again. We're, we're already deep in here, so let me just keep going. Fellas, for some of you, it's not even a real person who's your Herod. You've got some pixels on a computer screen that are pulling at you. And they're getting you to dishonor God and dishonor yourself and dishonor future, your future wife or your current wife. 
And those, 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 those Herods, they can feel so strong. But what if you were to say, God, this day I turn to you. And I'm not going to turn to my own strength. And I'm not going to turn to my own willpower. But God, this day I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. I'm sorry how that dishonors you. I'm sorry how that dishonors myself. I'm sorry that I'm settling for less than your best. You want me to have a real relationship with a real person. But Lord, I've substituted that. I'm cheapening that. And Lord, in fact, I want to surrender to you. I want you to do such a work in me that I become a defender of women. That instead of objectifying them, that I will say to other men, that's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's wife. That's, that's someone's future spouse. You see where I'm going? Do you think God would want to honor a prayer like that? Of course he would. He would love to send other men of God into your life that can help hold you accountable and support you and encourage you. He would love to do that. He would love to do that to give you a new mind and a new heart. For all of us in this room, one of our Herods is entitlement. If you have to have a default Herod today, use entitlement. We all have this. We all find ourselves saying, this is my money. This is my time. This is my stuff. Newsflash, it's not. Everything comes from God and belongs to God. Whether you're a believer or not, everything comes from God and belongs to God. And how freeing could your life be if you could repent and say, God, forgive me for trying to control and own and and manage all of this towards my own ends. It's yours from this day forward, God. What you send in, I want to use as you would have me to use. And I want to give my first best to you and not my leftovers. Do you think God would honor that prayer? You know, so who is your Herod? Who is your hair? What is your act of magnificent defiance? Is it to put your calling ahead of your career? Maybe that's it. Is it to put financial, wise financial decisions ahead of debt? Is it to, oh, here's, here's an interesting one. Is it actually to put respect for authority above a rebellious spirit? Now, that might seem to be opposite of what I'm talking about here, but for some of you, your Herod is a Herod. Uh, for some of you, you want to do what you want to do, and, and, or for some of us, uh, first person here. Um, for some of us, we, we actually like to challenge authority. And for some, your act of surrender might be to say, you know what, you need to honor that authority. You need to honor your father or your mother You need and your mother. You need to honor your parents. You need to honor that manager. You need to honor that leader. So do you see how this works? Again, have I got enough examples? We're all good. Everyone got a Herod? Everyone? All right, let me, let me see. You got a Herod? Otherwise, I have to keep going. <laughs> I don't encourage you to lie in church, but, or anytime. Everybody got a Herod? Okay, then here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to look that Herod in the eye and decide whether you're going to consciously decide right now, are you going to listen to that Herod or are you going to listen to God? And for those of you who choose to, to listen to God, I want you encouraged to take this song and proclaim it. Let's have the worship band come up. Let's do that song that, that they taught us. And as they're coming up, please write this in your notes. Please write this down. Strength, real strength, begins with surrender. Real strength begins with surrender. God would love to help. He would love nothing more than to see this thing get turned around.
He would love to step in. And it may mean giving you an inner peace. It may mean giving you a new mind, a new heart. It may mean activating people around you. I don't know. But he wants to help. Will you let him? And it, it begins with surrender. Will you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit just fighting in my own strength. I confess these things before you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Spirit of Christ, fill me and lead me. And where you lead, this moment I say I will go. Lord, where, what you say I'll do. I'll follow, I'll follow, I'll follow you. Let me pray for you and, and then I'm going to just pitch it off to, to Jill here. Father, Thank you for being so good, and thank you for being so kind. And even, Father, on this Father's Day, thank you that you have revealed yourself as a father because the fathers in this room, we would do anything for our kids. We would die for them, Father. You know that. And I pray, Lord, that we could sense that from you, that you wouldn't just would die, you did die for us. You, you, you created the, the greatest act of self-sacrifice imaginable to demonstrate that you love us while we're still sinners. If we've been on this circle a million times, you, you call us back to all who are sincere and aren't just playing a game. You, you offer forgiveness. You are excited for us to come back to you. So, Father, in this moment, reveal one Herod that you would have us to defy. Help us to confess if we have been listening to that Herod instead of you with your spirit of courage and hope and dependence on you that together we can face this Herod. In Jesus' name we pray this. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.